All right, Detroit is different. As we wrap up, give a final report. I got some troops on the ground when it comes to how I was approaching Detroit is different in tech economy this year. Two of my favorite social thinkers and just beautiful, wonderful people at that. Anyway, I got Heidi, I got Shalita. We're gonna move forward. They were interacting throughout the day. This whole day, I was like, I really want you all to come to this conference because I know you can put feet to the fire when it comes to how not just technology, but just how any infrastructure can really help people when it comes to sociology, when it comes to people, when it comes to society and just families and how things interact and function. I can't think about two people best combining the history of policy looking at data, looking at research, and also looking at just the way how people live than you two. How are you all today? Good. We're doing great. And thanks, thanks for, for the having invite. us. <laughs> all right. All right. With all of that said, how did the day start at Techconomy 2015? Well, we did miss the opening remarks, uh, which I regret because sometimes that provides you with sort of a framing for the what's, what's to come uh, the rest of the day. Um, but we did both catch... Uh, a session called A Maker City is a Jazz City, uh, followed by a conversation with Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan. And I would venture to say that, that between the two of those sessions, we probably got a, a pretty representative glimpse of uh, the, the overall tone uh, of the Techonomy 2015 conference. Okay, and what would you say that tone is? I would say that tone, um, or that maybe I, I would even venture to use the word narrative, the, the, the narrative that is out there that's being projected at this conference, I would say, is one of uh, optimism about the entrepreneurial potential of Detroit. Uh, and it's also one that's laden with uh, the theme of a new Detroit, sometimes in opposition to an old Detroit. Uh, and there are several dimensions of that. There's, a, I think, a, an embedded racial dimension to that. Um, there is an economic dimension to that. Um, and so there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, and I would just add, in addition to that, the thing that I found most pronounced in terms of what was missing in the conversation is the human-centered element of change and how before we can begin to have tools for change and tools for development and this reing of Detroit, I think that it's important to have an understanding of where the people are and what they perceive their needs to be based off their own lived experience. And so as I've moved through the day going through sessions on the maker city and so some of the language in terms of you know the analogy of coming to Detroit is similar to jazz and how it's experimental and how the mistakes don't have consequences because you know this is all fun and again the responsibility from my perception of when you're coming into a place and you haven't invited the people in that place to come to the table in an organic and substantive way to tell you about their experiences. Um, I'm not really sure who this city is being made for. Okay, and with that being said, that definitely leads to the natural number one question where I know you, but I wanna introduce you all to the guests, to the people listening to this. So give a little bit of both of your backgrounds. Um, well, my name again is Shalita Cocroft. I am a native Chicagoan and I'm here in Detroit working on my um, PhD in medical sociology at Wayne State University. I've been in Detroit for about six years now and um, it has been an amazing process of unlearning some of the external perceptions about the city 
and more importantly about the people in the city. So I've challenged myself to get past my own biases based off of a national narrative and take the time to actually engage with persons like yourself in the community to better understand home and place from a Detroit perspective. Okay, Heidi. And I'm Heidi Juganitz. Um, academically, my background is mainly focused on policy uh, as well as some area studies. Uh, and prior to moving back to the US, I spent about 10 years living in different countries uh, on the African continent. And so I think part of the perspective that I bring to Detroit is a, an awareness of these uh, systems uh, that, that are derived ultimately from sort of the European colonial system um, that continue to function today, uh, even in American cities, um, and that have you know, grave consequences uh, for the rights of people. Okay, so when we think about rights of people, one of the number one things that even talking to the person that leads this, David Kirkpatrick, the idea that technology, and in a lot of ways I believe it does, I know it definitely gives me this, is the word access. So how much access do you think technology provides to a city like Detroit where there are so many people that are, let's use another buzzword, displaced from what is perceived as the social sphere of American opportunity? What type of opportunity do you think exists to that access for the average Detroiter now that there is more access to technology? Well, I guess the one thing that I would say is that, is that I think that access is variable depending on what your uh, social and economic situation is. Uh, I think a lot of access to technology is mediated uh, by financial means. Um, so if you have the financial means to have a, a, you know, a fancy smartphone and reliable 4G service, uh, you're obviously going to have access to a greater variety of, of apps and other uh, technological possibilities that you will not have access to if you are using a flip phone or maybe you don't even have a cell phone. Um, so, so I would say that it's very important to, to sort of be cognizant that when we're talking about technological solutions. Um, ultimately, those solutions are only helpful insofar as, as they advance the well-being of people. And so we really have to put ourselves in the shoes of the potential users and, and be aware of who we're omitting from the picture when we're talking about our, uh, you know, hypothetical users. Okay, and this leads to the next question I have for you, Shalita. So in optimum space, if we just have a blank sheet of paper, how do you feel like technology could provide access to these people that are generally left behind when it comes to technology? So when we're talking about access, the, the, the first question that comes to mind for me, again, is access for whom and for what purpose? Whose interests will be served? And so... And the question would be more so directly to those that generally do not get to touch technology. Those that don't have access to the smartphone, that can't get to 4G, those that may not even have a cell phone at all. How do you get technology to those people in an optimum situation? I think it goes back to what Heidi said earlier and what I've heard loosely discussed um, is the whole issue of engaging around an honest conversation about the systems that create barriers. Mm -hmm. So it's not accidental that in some communities, not only in the city of Detroit, but in other air quote, italicized urban communities, um, there is this concern about equitable access. And it just doesn't happen because the people aren't necessarily interested or that they don't necessarily want it. If you're in a community where there's been systemic racism, 
historical systemic racism and you're having as a result of that to make hard decisions about do I pay my rent or do I pay the internet bill, it becomes problematic. And so when it comes down to a matter of survival, I too would choose food and shelter over this luxury and in some cases for some communities that is a luxury. And the consequence of not having access to that luxury is it creates barriers in terms of how do we be how are we preparing ourselves to be competitive for a globalizing workforce? So if there were anything that could in a utopia that yes. in a utopia. What do you think that would be? That would be I think that we, and I use the collective we in terms of our leadership, in terms of our political leadership, as mm. it trickles down to the local and the, mm. and, the, and the city leadership, need to really think about investing a long and hard look at what systems perpetuate barriers. And then mm. honestly engaging in conversations to dismantle those systems in ethical ways. That's the utopian response. Okay. The reality is, is that it took time to construct those systems. It's going to take time to deconstruct those systems. And if the power players are comfortable with the way that the system is organized, mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that they're going to be willing to be engaged in that conversation in an authentic way. Mm. And so what I've seen is superficial attempts. So as a Chicagoan, I know around this time of year, they will pick the worst community in Chicago and some organization will offer computers mm -hmm. because we want this X community, these kids to have access because we need to make them competitive. They're 21st century. But the problem is, is that there's no follow-up beyond that initial engagement of, we've given you the computers, but in, in most cases, the technology on the computers is antiquated. Mm -hmm. Or we've given you the computers, but your school doesn't have the resources to provide you a computer science professional to come in and teach you how to appropriately use the technology in a way that's going to not only enhance your readiness for work, but just your evolution as a human being. Okay. So even if you were to see like hot spots open up, Okay. In different cities. And you wanted to involve different people. How would you involve a community around something like that if they are not aware of how to get things going? Because I am a big believer in if you don't really involve the people you want to help. Sure. Then it's not going to be looked at as something that's of them, which will not lead to the true respect of what's happening or being given or provided. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that in your question, you've mm -hmm. actually provided the solution. Okay. And it really, in my mind, comes down to just a basic, respectful discourse about if you want me as an individual, and by extension as a community, to actively participate in something, I need to understand fundamentally how this is going to be benefit me as an individual and my community as an extension of myself. And I don't really think that that type of honest, respectful, micro-level conversation happens. What I've seen, and perhaps this is, Heidi can speak to this, but in my experience, it always comes in that top-down transmission prescriptive model where you all are 20 years behind, here's what you need to do in terms of learning technology, rather than using technology as an organic means of facilitating communication. So that the way that you use technology is going to be very different than the way that I use it, but we're still using technology. And the combined use of that 
I think over time could be beneficial. But because we're always doing it top-down prescriptive, right, as a model for understanding what technology is and how it then should be used, that becomes problematic. And I would say, I mean, one thing that I have a fundamental question about um, is the ability for any form or forms of technology to shift the overall uh, distribution of resources and opportunity in our society. Um, I, I think that when you look at the economic trends in the United States over the course of the past 40 years, so starting sort of in the early 1970s, what you see is you see a consistent growth of inequality. You also see a growing income gap um, across different racial groups. Um, so the, the average family wealth of an African-American family vis-a-vis -vis the average family wealth of a, of a white family, that, that gap has actually grown over time. Um, and, th and that's been a very constant trend, and it's been going on now for four decades. Uh, none of the technologies that have been introduced over that 40-year period have fundamentally shifted that dynamic. And so when I go to a conference and I'm greeted with a lot of, uh, you know, interesting, dynamic, uh, very optimistic presentations about the potential for this technology or that technological application um, for this support for uh, entrepreneurship, I am quite skeptical because it's clear to me that the root of our, our current economic woes and disparities is in fact structural, it's systemic. And none of the individual technological platforms or even the collective of those technolo technological platforms promises to shift the structure or the system in a way that would allow us to actually correct that problem. Okay, which that kind of leads to the next question about, you know, being here and what happened and so forth and so on. And that leads to what stood out? Who are some of the speakers that stood out? What are some of the tracks or the different breakout sessions that stood out as I was here doing a lot of the interviews most of the time? What do you say, say, okay, I agree with this person. This is something I think that could be dynamic. I could see how this could be used mm -hmm. as I just closed an interview with uh, something very unique. Jobatical, which I think is something that is, if you have the aptitude and attitude and are willing to take the lunge and open yourself up to an international position, I think that that's phenomenal as far as an opportunity that definitely addresses a need that's in my community for unemployment. Mm -hmm. So, or underemployment, mm -hmm. therefore, and being able to go to another nation to open up those means of access if you can get to that computer to do so. As right now, that's one of the first things that I'm gonna post up to a lot of people I know that enjoy traveling. But then it becomes, helping of that transition. Absolutely, and I'm, not, and, I, and I'm not trying to be overly critical of any particular uh, technology that's out there today. What I would point out is that I, I have no doubt that these technologies can help individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, what I know though, based on sort of a systemic analysis, is that the likelihood that, say, an African-American uh, young person in the city of Detroit is going to be able to effectively take advantage of a particular technology platform versus the probability that a, a white person of the 
same age in a suburban community will be able to utilize that platform to his or her advantage, but the probability of the former is, is much, much lower. Mm -hmm. And that's just based on the structure of our society right now. Sure. Um, and so until you set out uh, it, as a conference, as a group of people coming together, as a group of minds and, and thought leaders coming together, until you set out to explicitly tackle the systemic inequities that exist and to think through step by step how this is actually going to shift the structure of that system rather than reinforcing it, I don't think that you're going to see any, any significant aggregate change in the distribution of opportunity. Okay. Most definitely. I would say that it has been um, a very inspiring day in the sense that I've been to a few sessions that have really approached a beginning of an authentic conversation around the things that we as a society tend to be hesitant to talk about. So we don't like to use the R word. We don't like to use the word racism. Mm -hmm. So I went to uh, a talk on developing and retaining diverse talent in the context of diversity. And one of the speakers had a very enlightening perspective on the word diversity, the baggage that that word carries, and the industry shift to the term and perspective of inclusion and what inclusion means in terms of creating um, an ethically based workforce. So that session, as we did a deeper dive, began to talk about some of the systems and the systemic challenges that Heidi was just highlighting, talking about the fact that these discussions need to be intentional but they also be, need to be supported by resources. And so I think that for me, that was a very inspiring moment. I also enjoyed the, the, the session on technology and civic engagement. And I liked that when pressed a little bit, a few of the panelists who represent the major technological giants in this country, um, stood up to the challenge that was given. And so in short, the challenge was to the um, community member, who was the only community member on that panel, might I add. And my question to her was, as a community member sitting on a panel with three of the major technological giants, what advice would you give to them as they're introducing this dialogue about technology in a Detroit context? And it was a very interesting um, dialogue and her perspective is simply put you have to go to the people and ask them what they want and how they need it and as a result of that conversation a few of the panelists who are representing some of these technological giants have agreed to meet her halfway and work with her to bring their organizations more in line to that micro level community experience so that they can then go back and create right these tools that are specific to the needs of that particular community. And so I'm hoping that next year when you ask me that question, I'll be happy to say a year ago I asked this question, mm -hmm. these particular panelists said this, here's the update. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm hopeful. All right, most definitely, most definitely. Heidi, what stood out to you? Um, I, 
would say that um, I, I did get uh, peeks into, I think there was a whole range of uh, perspectives on technology presented at today's conference, and I think that there's something good about that. I think it's helpful to have the back and forth and to have one's own ideas and assumptions about technology challenged by, by other perspectives. Uh, and I think that a couple of the, the panels really encourage that sort of uh, cross-pollination and, and uh, self-reflection. Um, one in particular that I'm thinking of was the uh, panel that I attended on movements, cities, and economic development. Um, and so you had a whole range of sort of political perspectives that were represented there, um, ranging from those who are really in favor of um, deploying support to entrepreneurs at a fairly uh, micro level, uh, all the way up to sort of large venture capital, those in support of large uh, venture capital. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I, my, my personal uh, position on this is that uh, small businesses uh, are, are much better generally for the growth uh, and and well-being of a community um, than, say, big businesses. Um, and so I am very interested in, in knowing if there is a way to systemically extend more startup resources into the hands, not necessarily of newcomers, but of residents that are already living in the community and may be inclined to, you know, start a business if, if they have access to the means necessary. Um, and, and I think I would love to see in, in a future year of Taconomy Detroit one or more sessions that are maybe dedicated specifically to that question um, so that it's not it's no longer framed as what can we do for people that are looking to come in and invest in Detroit rather how can we get more resources into the hands of Detroiters and I think um, a, a, the corollary to that is also to, to sort of broaden our understanding of what is an entrepreneur I feel that the definition of an entrepreneur has, has been uh, made somewhat more narrow than I would like to see. Uh, it seems to be, you know, somebody who's, who's you know, in, in investing in a, a new technological system, but really an entrepreneur can, can take many forms. Um, it can be somebody who, you know, has a dream of, of starting a, a small family restaurant and then works to realize that dream over the course of many years. Um, and then, you know, there can be technological components that help along the way. Um, but I think focusing um, solely on this, this tech sector uh, is, is that will lead us in a direction um, that distracts from the, the current residents of Detroit and, and sort of uh, privileges maybe those who are, who are coming into Detroit because they see uh, a particular opportunity. Thank you so much. That was all of my questions. You guys got any other comments or want to share something else about today? Moving forward, technology, Detroit, peoples, jobs, I would just like to say that I think it's important for Detroiters to know that they own a place at the table around this discussion. One of the things that um, I made an observation on is the fact that we're having a very important discussion around the future of a city and many of the attendees here don't have the same type of familial, cultural, humanistic commitment to the city. And so I know that sometimes it's difficult when you feel like, you know, you're going to be in an environment where for whatever reason you might be uncomfortable. But I still think it's important to take the step to make sure that as much as possible your voices are being heard because if you don't, other people will come in and make decisions and create the narrative and you'll find yourself on the outside of that door wondering how it all happened. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Kari.